Tonight we are looking at paragraph two in the confession. And as we look, um, maybe just tried to encourage you to consider um, memorizing Isaiah 46, 9 to 11. And uh, it's on the screen behind me, Lord willing. And uh, let's, let's quote that together. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country, Indeed, I have spoken it, and I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will do do it. Those are some great claims of God. That he says, he says that he will do it, and then he follows through. Last week, we began looking at God's decree, and really, uh, there is one decree of God. Uh, It is all one purpose, to bring him glory. And as we looked at his decree, um, we see uh, very clearly that he is the one who brings it all to pass. And, and tonight we're kind of, uh, kind of re-emphasizing that a bit. Look at paragraph 2 of chapter 3 in the Confession. Although God knoweth whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed con- conditions, Yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it his future? Or is that which would come to pass upon such conditions? Very simply stated, God never makes a choice based upon anything outside of himself. God never chooses or decrees or determines anything that is dictated or influenced by anything outside of himself. We make choices that are constantly impacted by other things. How long ago was it that I ate? That can affect many of us. How we're going to respond to a situation. We are impacted by, well, farmers, You're impacted by the weather to fulfill what you're planning to do this week. Right, Charlie? That is outside of your control, but it's something that is impacting how you fulfill your plan. And what we're stating in in paragraph 2 is that nothing impacts God's choice of his decrees. And it sets this aside And it begins the paragraph saying that God knows whatsoever may come or can even come to pass. It's not just that God knows what will come to pass, but God knows every possibility of what he could have ordained to come to pass. That's where it begins to kind of stretch our thinking. It's not just God um, is the supreme uh, authority of jeopardy, of all the information that is revealed but he even knows all of the other things that could have happened based upon his will 
Why does it say this? To remind us of the infinite wisdom of God. As we were looking at the attributes of God, we said many of these attributes of God we're going to see fleshed out in different ways. And this is the way we see it. For God is infinite in his knowledge. And it's not just information that has been revealed, but even that, those things that are not. I believe it's Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things of the Lord belong only to him. There are things that we don't know. But God knows and it belongs to him. There are things that it's never guaranteed that we will even be able to understand. But God is the one who knows all those things. And not just all the possibilities, but even the conditions that can impact those decisions of ours. For God knows all things. His breadth is, the breadth of his knowledge is total, total. He knows all things and all conditions. You could add the, the ifs or the ors, he, un, he knows those. The mays or the cans, he knows those. Last week we saw he's known it from ancient times. Because he made his decree, he made his plans in ancient times. It's not like God's figuring out tomorrow today. He's not planning next year today. He planned it all in eternity past. Every single step. He ordered all of our steps. To us, as it's being revealed, we, we see it fleshed out. But it was eternity past the time in which God did it. Acts 15, 17, and 18 kind of show us this. Paul is, uh, this is, uh, excuse me, this is the Jerusalem council. And they're showing uh, it's the debate. It's kind of Galatians put in Acts. The debate on how are the Gentiles brought in. And they're looking back in verse 17. It says, all these things happened in God's decree and God's plan so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Those are quotations. Known to God when? From eternity are all his works. He's known it from eternity. But we need to restate something just to be clear. Because this paragraph hits much of a false view of God's sovereignty. Because it speaks very clearly that God must be the agent of all of his decrees. That nothing can be outside of his decree. For if he is not, for if it is outside of his decree, he is not sovereign over that area. How does God's decree get determined? Ephesians 1.11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Notice that all things happen according to him and according to the counsel of his will. Nothing happens outside of him. Yet, error has been a part of the church for many years. Arminius was a... I think scholars may be giving too much credit to him for some of his false views, but... 
Arminius is kind of the father of the thinking that God is not completely sovereign over our salvation. That man is, since we have a free will, we must be the ones who choose God. And many times a verse that is looked at comes back to Romans 8.29. For whom he foreknew. We, we see this word come up, foreknew. And in our thinking we think foreknew means, well, God knew it ahead of time. Exactly. But then we begin to ask the question, well, how did God know it ahead of time? Arminius brought the, the, the view that if God foreknew, it, it, it meant he, he must have, that phrase is used, looked down the corridor of time to know what was going to happen before it happened. Kind of like he, he jumped in his God-made DeLorean and went the right speed and jumped ahead. Sorry, I watched Back to the Future and enjoyed it. Um, and he saw what was going to happen and then he comes back and to eternity past, and then says, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to choose them. But notice what Romans 8, 29 and 30 says. For those whom he foreknew, there's a, a thread that ties all these together. He also, those who he foreknew, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, those whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, those he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. Who is the agent of the predestining, the calling, the justifying, the glorifying? It's God. The whole Reformation was founded upon the justification is not our work, it is Christ's work. And all of these tie together. We don't have any role in this. But one of the things comes back to the word, what does this word for new mean? Gnosko is often spoken of throughout First uh, John. That God, that we know one another, that we would know God in an experiential way, often is kind of spoken about a loving relationship. To pro means before, to know before. But let me just give you a, here's a, a Greek lexicon. Here's the different ways that this can be translated. To allow, to be aware of, to feel, to have knowledge of, to perceive, to be resolved, uh, can speak, to be sure, to understand. That's extremely broad. And, and so do, do Arminians just kind of say, well, here's the definition we're going to choose. And a more reformed doctrine would say, well, here's the one we're going to choose, and then we go with it. No, that's not how Scripture works. That when there's lack of clarity, we interpret passages with other passages. That Scripture interprets Scripture. And, and so we, we can't stand on this to say, this means that God knew, meaning he foreordained, based upon this verse alone, but the totality of Scripture. What do we just see in Ephesians 1.11? He works all things according to the counsel of His will. Not our will, His will. Romans 9 verse 11. For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, 
that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Not of the works, not of something outside of God, but of him who wills. So we take Romans 9, 11, but then just a few verses later, verse 18, therefore, in light of this argument that Paul is making through Romans 9, he has mercy on whom he wills. The agent is not man. It is not circumstances. It is God. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. What did he do? Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. See the emphasis is not placed upon us. It's placed upon God himself making that choice out of his own will. He predestining. But Arminians argue, well, God looks down the quarter of time. He saw who would choose him and came back to choose them. But we we must realize that if that is our view, we must then confess that there is something outside of the sovereignty of God. That there is an area which God has no control over, that God has no impact on. The problem is, how can God be certain that what he saw in eternity future would happen without him being in control of it? Well, God knew it, but how could he guarantee in eternity past that things would happen the way that he saw it? Even in a fallible movie in Back to the Future, he jumps ahead to the future. When you come back, what happened? He came back and things started messing up in the future. Because just because he saw it there, if things are completely random and and completely by man's free will and absolutely God is void of it, God can't guarantee that that would happen. And so that his elect would not be sure in God's mind. Well, I saw that those people were going to choose me, so I'm hoping they stick with me. That would be as much as what God would be able to do. Only that which is certain to happen may be foreseen. I was even thinking about how sometimes we say, well, I foresee this or this. What are we saying? I think. We can't say, I know. Because we cannot ensure it to come to pass. But when God says, when we see that he foresees it, he foreknows something, he is certain because he guarantees it. The only possible answer is to how things are certain to happen is that it is God's decree that takes it, that makes it take or makes it happen. I've appreciated one gentleman um, just a faithful elder in a church has written a kind of a commentary on uh, the Second London Baptist Confession. And uh, he, he wrote this and it just stood out to me. He says, the only quarter of time is the one God decreed. The end comes from its beginning. 
we often use that phrase, but the only quarter of time is the one that God has set out. And it happens because God is the one who set it. And so then in light of other, other truths of Scripture, we see what does it mean to foreknow means to foreordain. It gives us that direction. But Sam Waldron points this out in light of Romans 8. It is not something about the elect which is foreknown, but they themselves who are foreknown. It's not just information, but God knows us and plans and chooses. It is not man. If it is man's choice, then he is the agent of that section and God is not. So therefore, God is not complete. I want to read a little bit longer quote by Gary Marble that I I feel is, is helpful. He says, In reality, this model, the Arminian model, indicates that God gazes down a quarter of time that is not ordered by God, but is ordered by the autonomous free will of man. In this model, man determines God's eternal decree because God must get permission, as it were, from man's free will before he determines his decrees. So then God is not issuing decrees freely or independently, but rather in subjection to and contingent upon a future created by man's own free will. God has to work around what man has already willed. When one applies this model to election, one must redefine election to mean self-election, to which God responds based by basically backdating our self-election and calling it eternal divine election. One can see that there are some real problems here. I think that last phrase is a little bit of an understatement. We must come to an understanding that if God is not sovereign in our election then he's not, as Romans 8 says, he's not sovereign in our glorification. He's not sovereign in securing our salvation. If I talk to an Arminian and they say that we can lose our salvation, I say, good job, you're at least remaining consistent with your view. Because if we say, hey, I chose God, but then he keeps me. How does that happen? If it's totally of my will, God has nothing over my will. I must keep myself saved. The implications we have here go a long ways. But at the end of the day, it's a denial of God's character. As we saw that God is independent. He is not in need of anything to issue his decrees. God is eternal. His decrees were made with God's eternality and independent of any time. And he's immutable. He does not change. He doesn't base his decrees and change them based upon the nature of man. I was kind of thinking about this in light of, so where does prophecy fall into this? Prophecy is this. God giving us a glimpse of his decreed will. Of what he has decreed. 
every day we are living in the midst of God's decree that everything is happening that is coming to pass. It is how he has ordained it. Prophecy is letting us know ahead of time what he is going to do. It just gives us that little glimpse into his decree. Look at Isaiah 46, 9 to 11 again. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. And I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. God is the agent of his decree. There is nothing outside of him that impacts his determining of anything, including our salvation I praise God for that as John MacArthur has said if one can lose his salvation if if I could lose my salvation I would because that's our nature we would lose it but God is kind he is sovereign and he's worthy to praise because of that let's pray Lord thank you for our time to Open your word and again to look at some great truths of you that can challenge our thinking, can challenge our our hearts when, when we think that we're the ones in control, Lord, Lord, humble us. But Lord, help us to understand the beauty. Help us to understand the comfort that comes in knowing that all your purposes happen according exactly the way that you have planned. Lord, that nothing outside of you impacts you. Lord, it allows us to trust you, knowing that all that you have purposed, that you will do. So Lord, help us to trust when we don't see necessarily how things are coming together. Cause us to, to cover our mouths when we have questions and to look upon your goodness, to trust your hand. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.